0: Hi, welcome to this week's VFX show, I'm Mike Seymour and this week we are, well, drawing the battle lines, uh, we've done the battle lines between Superman and Batman, we're now drawing the battle lines between uh, Team Cap and Team Iron Man and uh, I'm joined by Matt, how are you Matt?
1: I'm really good, it's uh, finally, we're coming out of a month of like nonstop rain here, I think it's finally going to get sunny, I'm excited.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So Matt Wallen, which uh, team are you on? Team uh, Cap or Team? I'd probably have to
1: go Team Captain America. I think in this one. I think uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> like. Uh, I don't like bowing to authority uh, in any situation.
0: Uh, you rebel. And uh, also joining us on the show this week uh, is Zap coming to us from Sweden. Zap, which uh, team are you on?
1: Uh, wow, that was a
2: question. I might lean towards the cap two, I guess. Although I I like Robert Downey Jr. as a guy, but in this question, I... (laughs) Yeah, authority, that's mm, not my thing. Uh, Rules are for other people. You
0: guys are in... you guys are insane there's uh, I got vision on my team and there ain't no way we're losing ok well we're going to be looking at um, obviously Civil War Captain America we're going to be discussing just briefly the film and then we'll try and get into the visual effects we did I, I agree with some of the uh, emails I was sent uh, spend a little too long maybe on the uh, plot problems of uh, Superman versus Batman and we don't mean to do that it's a it's an occupational hazard, I guess, when we're trying to talk about the visual effects to, um, because it's so intertwined with the story these days. But there's a lot to talk about in this um, film. And Matt, I was uh, writing a piece up for FX Guide and I was reminded of something that um, came up at, uh, at FMX, actually. At FMX, there was a you know, panel session discussing stuff to do with um, the future of uh, this and the other thing, especially visual effects and that kind of mid-level Uh, area. Anyway, someone from uh, Luma was talking. They made a really interesting point, which was that um, The Matrix had 420 VFX shots. And these days, 2,000 shots is sort of standard for a Marvel film. And they've gone from releasing um, just a film every few years to reaching one almost every year. Um, And... Captain America isn't even meant to be the sort of the top of the line um, Avengers type stuff, and yet you've got at least uh, 2,000 shots, and then you've got contributions from companies. Well, obviously, so I just mentioned, but uh, Method did a lot of heavy lifting, as did ILM. But then on top of that, you've got Image uh, Engine, Method, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Trickster, Cineside, like just a ton of other previous by Third Floor. I think Dean Egg was in there as well. Like it's just a huge number of companies contributing to a huge number of visual effects shots. And this is just standard. Did, did you feel like this was an effects heavy film? Is this just now what we should expect as a kind of a a normal level of uh, of effects work?
1: I mean, I, I think it
0: definitely seems like an effects
1: heavy movie. I think there's a couple of things that make it... Um, you know, actually seem in sort of in your memory seem maybe questionable in terms of the effects. A lot of the effects are are really invisible effects that are happening, I think, in this picture. And also the runtime of this movie is crazy long. I think it's, what, 200 and, what, what is it, two hours and 40 minutes or something? Actually, that's
0: like a that. really good point, isn't it? Yeah, like if you have a film that's only 90 minutes, um, unless you're doing, I don't know, uh, Milan Rouge that was cutting every, you know, Five right. Frames, you're going to have a lower shot count when you start running it to two hours and whatever. This, yeah, is, it's this is like, be... it's, like two,
1: it's almost like a two, two movies in one. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a really, really long film. And so I think the shot count um, doesn't surprise me at all. But I think, you know, there's a lot of um, character development in the first half of the film and a lot of dialogue scenes and stuff. But even in so many of those sequences, there are effects, but they're sort of almost invisible effects, including. Um, in sort of the the climactic end of the second act uh the big battle that takes place too uh, that is uh, a whole a whole um uh, movie's worth of effects unto
0: itself too and so uh, uh, what did you actually think of it as a film before we get back to yes the first? so
2: first of all yeah it was pretty long <laughs> so uh, there was parts of a It that I almost thought that uh, it almost felt a little DVD extra, like uh, maybe things should have been on the cutting room floor. Like, did the as much as I liked the introduction to Spider-Man, did it really have to go on and on that kind of long as it did? So that's perhaps my main sort of complaint. As much as I love character development and all these things and it needs to be there this movie seemed to almost try a little bit too much to do character development you know spell out every little detail perhaps not necessarily much uh, and then on the back half we get all the action and of course we have this issue which is kind of the same issue that the, you guys went on and on about with Batman versus Superman is that all these guys are supposed to be <laughs> the good guys in some way shape or form so trying to manufacture a conflict between them feels a little forced so but this movie did that much better in the sense that when you were at the airport battle that I guess we'll get into technically later, they weren't really, you know, trying to really fight. They were almost trying to hold their punches, uh, uh, even like in the story of the movie, because they were like, do we really need to do this kind of thing? It was only at the end when we get the big twist about who killed who or whatever. I don't know how much spoiler warning we need to get go-to, when, you know, Mr. Stark got, you know, got uh, all Hulk smashed and angry, and we got the real fighting, which was much more intimate with just three three people fighting. Uh, that... I, I actually enjoyed that kind of end battle uh, more, almost, uh, on, an, like, an emotional level or whatever, uh, than the big fight scene, um, because it was more like... They didn't even want to actually fight sort of in that place, which uh, yeah yeah
0: I, think it's yeah, I think it's an interesting structural um, issue um, Matt, the way that you would normally structure a film is you don't you know, end up with the big kind of thing in the third act, and which is mm-hmm. if we go to say Iron Man Three, that was the container sequence uh, with multiple Iron Man suits flying around in and you know it was like the big um, kind of finale thing, and certainly in the Avengers, um, it's the whole you know parts of Eastern Europe being lifted up into the sky and everybody's fighting. And, um, I almost said everybody's kung fu fighting. Anyway, but everyone's fighting and it's the big, um, it's the big thing. Here we really had this big epic um, kind of battle in the second act and then the third, as, as uh, Zep rightly points out, is kind of a more intimate thing. I think that's actually a really good decision because these films do run the risk of being very sort of like... Um, like a Bond film, right? Where you just sort of know exactly what's going to happen and you have to enjoy the ride because really there's nowhere that you're going to go that you, you can't see coming.
1: Yeah. i, I, I well, yeah. I, and I think I, they, they also. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say they also structurally kind of set it up so that I think it's, you know, it, it's clearly part of the larger sort of. Uh, Marvel universe of in unfolding these characters, unfolding these stories with, you know, whatever their, uh, f- phase one, phase two, phase three, uh, planning stages of where they're going with the, um, sort of the narrative and the universe and starting to weave together, um, all the elements of the various sort of, um, up until now at least, these sort of disparate pieces of the Marvel Universe and starting to connect all those pieces together um, in this new phase. And I think that setting up the film in that way and creating... you know, sort of the big blowout fight that's sort of everybody kind of choosing a side and then uh, structuring it at the end with, the, again, like you you guys say, the in, the more intimate battle, um, it, it raises the stakes and and sort of leaves you kind of wanting to find out what's going to happen and and hopefully dovetails, I think in the studio's mind anyway, right, hopefully dovetails into a, a desire to return to find out what happens in the next installment.
2: Yeah, and I didn't mean what I said as a critique, really. It was actually kind of a praise, maybe didn't sound like that and the key word you said there is stakes but because as a writer what you want is for the audience to feel that there are some real stakes when there's a conflict and here it was the stakes were raised but the uh, fight didn't get larger it got smaller which is was actually to the benefit of the movie i think
0: yeah i think so too. i think the biggest risk with this um, kind of film and I certainly, I made reference to The Matrix earlier. That's what I thought The Matrix got let down is that they got to a point where um, Nero was invincible and consequently didn't really care because like anything that was going to happen, he was going to be all right. And there's a certain risk here as well that you feel like everybody's invincible, everybody's going to survive because you're not going to kill them off. And it becomes like an episodic television show um, often it by things like The Simpsons where they'll literally sort of joke that by the end of the episode, you have to get back to where you started because everything has to be kind of normal. And... Here, you're kind of going to end up with all the heroes and they're not going to get killed off and they're not going to, you know, they obviously will make up at some point kind of thing. So where's the drama? Um, I I actually feel that they made a mistake by not killing off War Machine. I feel like um, the thing that this sort of franchise needs to do is have the nerve to to kill somebody and, and have it actually tragic. The thought that all of these superheroes can fight all of these people and even Agent Coulson, you know, gets brought back from being dead so that no one ever dies, that there's sort of no collateral damage. Um, there was, I guess, Quicksilver in um, in Avengers and uh, and so maybe that sort of counters my own point. But apart from that, in this film I just felt like, yeah, really? Like no one's going to get anything kind of... Um, cataclysmic happen to them because we're just in that film that you know you don't have cataclysmic things happen but you yeah, know, maybe it would be
1: great to kill a like a bigger hero you know and to like, yeah have somebody important die yeah uh, I think and that's I was right. kind of I surprised
2: and, that you know because Robert Downey Jr. has expressed the interest of actually not wanting to do more Iron Man he's kind of done with it as far as I understand so why couldn't they did something so he could go out with a bang somehow but I guess I don't know
0: i mean the thing about this film is that it really featured iron man you know very heavily um i don't know that i would say that it wasn't a captain america film um because it goes kind of his story but definitely you know there's an enormous amount of iron man in this which is which is interesting and to that end i would say i enjoyed this film a heck of a lot more than i enjoyed say iron man three or or even two for that matter um so i thought it was a good film and and uh you know points to the rizzo brothers for pulling it off i mean that it is a good action, you know, Marvel film. You don't come out of this feeling like you've been ripped off or that uh, they were pulling their punches. I want to come back to that other point that Zap made. It seemed like it was a bit of a fun fight at the airport. It was in the sun. Um, you know, there was a couple of lines, like I think uh, Black Widow, um, I think was, you know, that like made a point about pulling punches and, um, you know, depends if you're going to, you know, how hard you're going to hit kind of thing. It didn't really feel like anyone was out to hurt anyone at the airport scene, um, which did make a lot more gravitas to the sequence at the end because now you really felt like, um, you know, that people were actually angry and actually out to kind of do harm. Um, can I start in the visual effects? Uh, there's sort of, obviously there's sort of three acts and we'll, we'll discuss those three big sequences, the attack at the very beginning that causes uh, Scarlet Witch to sort of uh, do do things she shouldn't do, Um, the middle airport and, of course, the end scene. But there are some other scenes I want to just touch on. What do we think about Lola VFX's anti-aging work on Robert Downey Jr.? Because that, for me, it's almost like now a signature thing that we have in each Marvel film and they kind of top them. If we remember in Ant-Man, we had um, Michael Douglas uh, de-age. We've obviously had extraordinary work with um, Skinny Steve with Captain America and we've seen that in a couple of films and here we are again with uh, Lola de-aging Robert Downey Jr. back to a time when most of us actually can probably still remember Robert Downey Jr. Um, Did you feel that 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 worked or what's our thoughts? Zap, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, so
2: I once had the pleasure uh, at some SIGGRAPH many years ago, I uh, visited uh, hydraulics. And Colin showed me some work they were doing for a little film called Something Benjamin Button Thingy, where they had uh, de-aged Brad Pitt... And that was kind of interesting. So this was work in progress. Basically, Fincher has just walked out of the room um, before I walked into it. So so there was even little scratches on fix this, change this, the other thing. And I think that's even before they were officially named Lola at the time or something. So I kind of got to this little privileged moment to witness the start of all this insanity. And they're doing such amazing work. Uh, I think this uh, Downey Jr. um, rejuvenation is probably the most impressive I've seen, and their work has been massively impressive in the past, especially since we have so much reference. The funny part I didn't realize until now when I started to look at it, holy crap, it was Robert Downey Jr. in Weird Science. I've seen that movie many times, but my brain didn't click that it's Bloody him. And this looks like, you know, weird science era Robert Downey Jr. And it's really, really well made. And even in a case, since it's in the film, it's actually kind of a virtual reality projection kind of thing. So they couldn't have gotten away with, you know, worse work and said, well, it was CG. Like in, in the world of the film, it's supposed to be CG, basically. So they could have cheated, but clearly they didn't because it, it looked f- absolutely freaking fantastic. And I loved it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just to clarify the one thing, there, Zap, because I, I have good friends at uh, Lola and uh, and Hydraulics. That actually two separate companies. Um, Hydraulics did co-locate with Lola back in the day, and the two companies were connected. But Lola was the uh, the digital makeup company that, of course, is now a very much a separate company from Hydraulics. Just to be giving them their due. Um, but you're right. Back, Back in, in the day, day those they two were companies kind were of the same sort place. of the
2: same-ish, yeah.
0: Connected, yeah, exactly. They are. and But uh, just to be clear, yeah, because um, hydraulics does, of course, still do great visual effects work in their own right, but the uh, the makeup work before entering is yeah. coming from the Lola guys who aren't at the same place in L.A. Um, Matt, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree. I think of all the... Uh, effects in the movie that was probably the most spectacular, uh, like, no, well, I, I shouldn't say the most spectacular. It was the most, um, sort of jaw dropping visual effect in, for me, from a straight up just visual effect, uh, visual effects artist point of view. Like, um, you know, I had actually just recently, <laughs> strangely enough, I don't ask why. I mean, I just I had a day where I was I was here and I was like uh, flipping through movies of what was on uh, the various sort of uh, online channels, and I saw less than zero was on, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I haven't seen that since it came out. So that I was watched like eighty seven. Yeah, yeah. So I watched less than zero again, which actually oddly holds up pretty good. But and so seeing the young Robert Downey Jr. just after having seen that movie only a few weeks back, it's like I mean, it was. It was just uncanny. It was so well executed. I just thought it was so impressive and and used to great effect, too, I thought, in the story in terms of creating that kind of, you know, kind of young young man ennui and kind of uh, disregard and sort of the difficult relationship with his father or whatever. You know, I just thought it was great. It was so, so excellent. And again... It's-
0: It's funny we all have our own Robert Downey Jr. sort of, (laughs) because I went to Air America, which is like a couple of years after that, like nineteen ninety. But you guys, um, no one went for the pickup artist, which is interesting. But (laughs) Um, great, yeah. It's it's also difficult, isn't it? Because you um, you're kind of watching him, and you know it's an effect. So you, I mean, I certainly couldn't not be processing that at two levels, like what's going yeah. on in the story here, but hang on a second, just ignore that for a second. What's happening with his face? That's pretty bloody good. Um, I, I will say this, I still think that if I was giving an award to Lola for just jaw droppingly good, uh, either de-aging or whatever, I'm still giving it to Skinny Steve. To this day, I just think that was about the most remarkable um, compositing uh, work in terms of just like inner story and me just saying i can't believe what i'm looking at like in this one it's a more intense transformation because of the physic
1: the physical change between the you know chris evans uh, you know as he actually looks now and then the the sort of skinny chris evans yeah i mean it's definitely a more uh, just sort of mind-blowingly crazy looking thing
0: yeah and and this maybe because i've seen a couple of de-agings but i mean i think um I think this was good. I don't know that it was significantly better than uh, Michael Douglas, who I thought was good, but at at a sort of a per shot level. But if you say that, you you don't do this film a justice because the sequence in this film runs for like 4,000 frames.
1: Yeah, the length of the shot and the fact that he yeah. starts like further away in the scene, he's sort of at the entryway in the back corner of the room and he comes where he's really, uh, you know, standing uh, really close to camera. And so you, he's having to transition between and, and be on frame for or on screen for that long and transition between being sort of further away to being in really almost a, 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 a close up, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you were just discussing it in terms of, you know, is this um, uh, like on a single frame like a really good de-aging, as I say, that just doesn't do justice to um, to the notion of being able to pull that off over this incredibly 4,000-frame-long sequence because uh, the errors that build up, the sort of problems that you get yourself into and you can't get out of because, you know, it's a continuous shot, um, they are the nightmares that keep you awake at night. I mean, when I was talking to the guys at... Um, um, Lola about uh, Michael Douglas, they were saying, you know, like they'd have a shot, they'd be watching and they desperately hope he didn't look to the left because, oh, he's looked to the left because that was gonna make it like a lot harder. But at least they were sort of contained, you know, we solved that problem and we're out of the shot. In this one, if you went to the left, he then came back <laughs> to the front again and you had to sort of keep it going, so. Well,
1: and it's almost composed like a, like a diopter shot or something too, the way it's mm. set up where he, when he's close to camera, I thought, which... Uh, I don't know, I, th- I thought that also kind of pushed it into an arena that made it more I don't know, Just it seems so much more um, uh, sure. challenging so that way. Too. Do we yeah. know
2: details? Is he at some point kind of sort of CG? Because tr- the traditional method they used uh, at Lola was really like hand-pulling You know, patches well, of skin yep. in various directions and I mean to 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 undo what age does to a face is not a simple task. There's things drooping you have to undroop and things growing you have to ungrow and all sorts of shape changing you have to do backwards. And to track that around in a moving shot, it's like... I just cannot fathom how they do this. And I would say because, I mean, CG faces have come so far these days. So I'm wondering how much is no, 3D. it's a composite. It's purely, it, yeah, it, yeah, no, it's,
0: it, it's a composite exercise. They, they do do 3D to give themselves lighting information. So uh, as I understand, so what you're looking at is the product is a composite but they may do a head in 3D turning in that environment so they can see what the light is doing on it for a different angle on the chin or something so as to inform um, uh, a decision. But it's not, um, yeah, it's not done that way. And I will say this, there there is a little bit of 3D also done on vision, but they're doing visions close-ups as well, which is everything from tracking stuff onto his eyeball to um, changing his skin profile. And in fact, in a big sequence, it's not... Uncommon to have Vision handed to Lola to do the face, then handed back to say an ILM to then put in as part of the uh, the German airport fight sequence, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there they do do a bit more 3D on Vision. But these are um, specialist compositors first and foremost. Now they have obviously 3D skills, but but if you know you were lining up, um, if, if you were doing your Marvel uh, Avengers VFX crowd, their special talent is compositing. <laughs> You know, they're the you can get Scanline in as the water guys. You get Lola in as the uh, as the composite face guys because that's just what they do. Their their nearly uh, magical powers in this area are just astounding. Um, this this film, by the way, also was the I'm going to say ninth major Marvel action film that was prevised by Third Floor. Um, and we don't talk about the previous so much because we don't get to see it um, quite the same way about the visual effects, but. Uh, I did want to touch on that because third floor are such an industry heavyweight and so key now uh, and for something that's this big, like a 2000 effect shot when you're trying to work all this stuff out, you know, you don't get cap on top of the um, I don't know, building stopping the helicopter going off out of nowhere. That's all pre and worked out in detail by the team at third floor. And Matt, that, that is something I guess we kind of take for granted but we shouldn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in a in a movie like this, where uh, even um, you know, uh, a movie like uh, the new Jason Bourne movie coming out or something, uh, but or a film like this where the action, in particular, that opening action sequence in this picture, uh, as well as I guess the airport one, but where the action is so kinetic, it's so intense, and there's so much going on, and there's so much ground being traversed, um, I think having previz is critical to being able to sort of ascertain, uh, you know, what are the shots, what's missing here? Are we telling this story right visually before you get into, you know, digging deep and starting to create um, full-blown VFX shots? So, I mean, it's it's clearly been very successful. I feel like there was um, there weren't any sequences in this movie where I felt like I got lost, you know? I mean, I think it definitely is a key and critical component for sure.
0: Well, let's discuss that now. If we Jump to these big sequences that I alluded to. Let's start with the middle one. And we'll go to the first one and the end one. The, the big one in the middle, which is the sort of, you know, um, when I've been talking to the guys for the FX Guide article, it's described as the splash panel. Um, now, you guys would know what splash panels are, but if anyone doesn't know what splash panels are, in uh, traditional uh, graphic novels or comics, it's the big double page spread that introduces a major character or or it's like the big kind of like we're going to take up a huge amount of the actual real estate of this comic book to give you this kind of establishing shot for want of it, a better term uh, that sets this uh, dramatic event of a character or, or whatever. Um, it's the equivalent of an establishing shot in comic books and so they just called this middle bit um, the splash panel or the splash uh, page because it was the sort of go-to um, time that we see all the characters uh, heading up against each other. Now, Zap, did you have any trouble at any point kind of keeping the geography of the sequence as we're talking about sort of previous and also um, the sort of blocking? Did you find that that sequence played well or did you feel like, hang on a second, what are all these other characters doing while these guys are doing this over here?
2: Uh, now you put the question like that. Uh, I think I, f- I followed the geography quite well, although... The particular thing you asked sometimes, what are these other people while doing while this is happening? In retrospect, I can realize maybe I was asking myself this question because we tended to go off to a corner of the fight with like two or three people. Uh, and the, you didn't see the others uh, for a while for whatever dramatic reason. But in general, no, I felt it was geograph- geographically pretty clear. And I wasn't really confused at any particular point. Uh, I feel sorry for the guy who owned that airplane, but um, <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, it was really well done, and I even enjoyed the—I don't know what what do you call the reversal of the Ant Man, the Big Man or uh, G- Giant Giant Man? Yeah, man, yeah. Uh, that worked pretty well. Although it, it, they made him really slow, which I think they kind of need to do to make him feel big, but it also. F- yeah, I don't know if the slowness should have been played out some slightly different way. It felt like a guy acting slow rather than a guy slowed down. Maybe yeah, I'm not making sense, but that, that's details. Yeah. Graphically, I think. I mean, as a rendering. Well, actually, no. Works. I think
0: it's a really, I think it's a really interesting detail because we've had this discussion before, and um, and I always come back to the fact that you can tell scale on how fast something falls, right? Because everything falls at the same yeah. speed. So if I see something fall through shot and it takes eight frames to get there, it's either a slow-mo shot or it's a really big thing um, you know, that's traveling quite a long distance. If it's getting through shot in you know, a frame and a half, it's a smaller thing because um, it can only be traveling a smaller distance to get through shot in such a speedy kind of time frame, which means that if things are big um, and they move at normal speed, they become supersonic. Uh, and not only that, but the physics of it would mean that, you know, I think we had this discussion on uh, Godzilla, you would literally liquefy the, the flesh because it just can't move that fast and the impact when it hit the ground would be um, the momentum of it. It's just, you know, um, ridiculous. And so it isn't just a, a, a ruse to make them look big, to make them uh, slow them down. It's sort of the physics of it would actually dictate yeah. that if you had... Which is why I had a huge problem with the visual effects as embodied in... Um, uh, the robotic thing, a uh, Pacific Rim, because in here you had people inside the suit that were swinging a punch as one, two, one, two. And outside the giant robot should be moving at one...
2: Yeah. Can
0: wait for it? <laughs> two... And those time lags, because you just couldn't move a giant limb yeah. at the speed uh, without literally having some kind of uh, break with But, but I yeah. really yes. loved
2: how they hang, hang the lantern on that, though, because, uh, you know, Spider-Man was all about this thing doesn't obey the laws of physics at all about Captain America's shield. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was great.
0: Um, I mean, the thing is, it it is really hard to not get comical, I think, when you get a big character. I mean, it just becomes, well, it just looks silly, I think. Speaking of looking silly, I'll probably discuss this more when we do the X-Men show, but, yeah, some of these costumes, there's a point at which I look at Vision and I'm like, really, you guys inherited the worst kind of suit for just taking seriously. (laughs) Like Captain America's suit's gone through a few phases. I think it was the last one. It was a pretty good Captain America suit. He didn't look too, you know ridiculous um but there is a point where these guys look you know kind of i mean there's this you know you need to be faithful to the comics and then there's like you just look like an idiot um (laughs) you know but i vision i get that with the suit kind of thing well while we get back to the to the fight sequence at the airport can i just um run one thing by you if we compare the fight at the airport to the fight where i think it's agent 13 uh tries to stop bucky from escaping from um so you know, there's a sequence where Bucky sort of is breaking out, and uh, and uh, it's where Cap comes. Uh, sorry, where Iron Man comes after him with the glove only. You know the sequence I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that sequence, um, I was really struck by the fact that um, the DOP had chosen to shoot that with incredibly short shutter, and so having this incredibly short shutter, it was very jittery. Um, which is a look that I think worked really well in um, Saving Private Ryan when they landed on the beaches at Normandy. But here, um, it's Trent, right, who was the DOP, um, who did um, stuff for uh, Neil uh, Blomkamp, right? He did um, District 9 and uh, Elysium and stuff. And, And I think he's a great DOP. It's just that doing that super short shutter in these fight sequences can be, I find more disorientating than, say, a problem of blocking that, say, a three, a third floor can address. Because, like, third floor could block this shot where a character comes around and kicks this guy in the face and then jumps around and spins on his head and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's great. But when it's in the screen and you've shot it live action and then done the effects on it, if you're doing it with this incredibly short shutter, you get this fast, jittery, quite graphical, but almost strobe-like um, effect, which I find fights against blocking and fights against me having an ability to absorb didn't, what's didn't really kind of going had on. I didn't
2: a problem with that part. Actually, my biggest problem in that sequence was this whole ruse of I have this one robotic limb thing or – in the case of Iron Man, I have this one uh, robo-glove and that makes me still kind of super-powered. Uh, you know, firing a gun straight into a super-glove that is has just unfolded from the metal in a watch and it just catches the bullet with no ill effect. That annoyed me a lot more than the motion blur in that scene, honestly.
0: Well, now... You're a bit of a kind of guy that would know this, but are we seeing the the start there of the new Iron Man? Um, is it uh, like there's a name for it in the comics, right? Where he starts having technology that integrates more with his skin. It's like nano technology, um, like because that that uh, action on the skin, uh, the way that that formed up from the glove looked to me. Because in the in the comic books, he goes from wearing effectively a suit. To wearing something that kind of more um, interacts with him and forms part of his skin in a, a more, um, uh, I think it's the bleeding edge technology in the comic books. Zap, you you know what I'm talking about? Or am Absolutely I just no clue. This? No. Okay. okay great, <laughs> man. <Matt? laughs>
1: uh yeah i don't don't actually know that either
0: okay so everyone that's listening that knows what i'm talking about send me information because i think uh, that stuff was done i think by luma i think that's the um the start of the new um suit tech where it's really blends with his skin i think that was a little nod to the fans that look what's coming uh in terms of iron man and the suit and stuff but that's another matter okay so let's get back to the um It's the airport sequence. So there's an enormous amount of work on this fight. It's done by ILM. They have an astonishing array of characters to deal with. The character animation on this alone is uh, remarkable. When you think about it, there are a bunch of characters there that have got effectively masks on. So you've got uh, Iron Man, Ant-Man, War Machine, Black Panther, uh, Spider-Man, and to a certain extent Vision that are all able to be nearly CG all the time that they're kind of fighting. Obviously, Black Widow and stuff, not so much, or... Or, um, or which, but certainly there's others. That's a lot of heavy duty lead characters in not body doubles so much, but just actually their performance from the, uh, from the animation crowd. Matt, what did you uh, think? Never yeah. looked like that to I, me.
1: I mean, I thought the whole sequence was so entertaining. It was so much fun. It was such, there's some great gags in there. It's uh, the first opportunity we get to see uh, uh, the new Spider-Man kind of doing his... Uh, Fighting with the the crew, I thought the I thought the Giant Man and Ant Man stuff was great, and Paul Rudd's you know one-liners were just so funny, and <laughs> kind of the 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 fact that uh, both he and the Spider Man character were kind of the the new guys on the block, how they were both kind of awestruck at even being present in the big fight, I thought was great. Um, I thought the overall the visual effects in the sequence, the the character animation, I think was really solid. I know that um, from uh, anecdotally, at least what I've read, a lot of the, uh, if not in total, the environment of the airport was also computer generated. Um, And I thought that it worked all right. The one problem I had with the sequence from a visual effects standpoint and a shot design standpoint too, was just that I know there's a a throwaway line that's like, we've got to evacuate the airport, right? And so the airport's being evacuated, but it was so lifeless, it felt... Uh, very much like a like an airport that had been built and constructed and then evacuated due to like you know nuclear fallout years <laughs> earlier like there was no signs of life anywhere except on um the tarmac where these guys were fighting yeah, and so i think is not that fallout they, from man of one, steel
2: when he just killed basically killed everybody <laughs> as collateral yeah, damage exactly. so now they in yeah. both in batman versus superman and in, in this movie they like have to put in a line like totally everybody's evacuated nobody will be killed i think no. what they could have
1: i think what they could have done though and they could have done this as part of the visual effects of that environment work would be you know just just have like some Digital people like off in the distance, like and some emergency vehicles with sirens, you know, like things like keeping people at bay. Like so, you just see it kind of off in the distance in the background, and it just wouldn't feel quite as totally dead and desolate. And that was the one thing about the sequence that just yeah. for me, from a from a sort of um, holistic perspective, it just made me feel a little bit like oh, it's, it feels really. Like this is a set piece, a stagey kind of moment, and we're really going to only focus on the heroes and not worry about sort of what is kind of the thematic larger context of the story, which is, you know, the the sort of civilian casualties or whatever.
0: I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this is not a visual effects problem so much as it is a directorial issue because I'm sure you know, ILM could have easily put them in if they wanted sure, to, sure. Um, and and I'm going to come back to the sort of front of stage stuff because I think it's so good. But in terms of that background stuff, I do completely agree with you. It felt ridiculously empty. Um, And here's the other thing. In my skeptical view of um, the intelligence of my fellow man, I think that if you had all these superheroes fighting it out, you're not getting everyone evacuating. You're getting everyone standing there to their own peril, filming on iPhones.
1: Yeah, Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, get away. You know, these people are gonna like kill you. Yeah, but like, oh my God, look at the footage I got for YouTube. I'm gonna get like a bazillion hits.
1: You know, though, that's actually an interesting point. It just made me think of one other thing with regards to that component. One of the other things that they did earlier in the movie, which I think you could have done in this sequence too, from a visual effects point of view, is they did actually recreate some of the destruction from the earlier films, uh, and made it look as though it was news footage or cell phone footage or something that was on YouTube. And they showed the the helicarriers crashing in uh, what was it, uh, Winter Washington. Soldier? And they yep. showed the uh, you know whatever the the Russian or whatever the Eastern Bloc city. Uh, crashing to the ground. And I thought that the recreation of those things in that kind of, you know, handheld grainy footage stylistic actually added so much of a sense of peril and realism. And it was the same kind of um, visual effect that I think I commented on in the the previous show where we were talking about uh, seeing things from uh, the destruction of Metropolis or was it Metropolis or Gotham City or whatever from the ground?
0: Yeah, and I, no, I mean it's that- interesting that you say that because like literally, ILM had to do another Hulk shot or two. And mm. if you were to, to ask people if Hulks in this film, or you know, it'd be like, well, no. And um, but yes, they had to do that, but only to go in those monitors for. I thought that effectively- stuff was great,
1: though. I thought it was so yeah, no, great totally and you great. could easily have intercut stuff like that in this other sequence in the context of what you're describing, I guess, of but, I mean, how if people would you, be standing there with their oh,
0: yeah, And not only that, but like helicopters, I mean, could you imagine like every news crew helicopter at the airport, hello, would yeah. be up and filming this stuff because, you know, and of course it would be stupid and of course it would be dangerous and of course they'd be placing themselves in the real chance of getting killed. But as I say, I have so little faith in people that I think they would actually do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, you know, people people chase tornadoes. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah, if they chase tornadoes, then like uh, eight superheroes or ten superheroes trying to kill each other would probably get a uh, an odd person with their cell cell phone out, even trying to do a selfie. Um, you, you know, <laughs> look behind me. Look what's blowing off. Um, I, I will say this: we touched on it then just briefly. The the humor in this sequence. Um, you know it was appropriate because as we say we 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 build to the end, but the um, the humor was nicely integrated with the visual effects, and I think no nowhere stronger than when um spider man was trying to wrap uh, the legs of uh, giant man or ant man when he 's in large form um, and there 's like a lovely Star Wars reference, and so you 've got this. This good visual going on, um, great humor. And it's what we missed, I think, in uh, Superman versus Batman. It wasn't just a joke in of, of itself. It wasn't just a wisecrack off screen just to get a laugh. It kind of connected with what was, we're seeing on mm-hmm. screen. And then it also, for the audience, did a wonderful thing of kind of linking a couple of films and it no longer felt like they were ripping off Star Wars. It was, you know, a homage to it, but in a way that was ridiculously, like, how old is this kid? Kind of, I just thought it was genius, and the fact that it was coming from ILM, who, of course, did that, right, right. Um, you know, was just at so many layers, one of the most uh, yeah, rewarding shots.
2: I, I really like that bit. And I even like the whole, uh, as much as I thought the introduction of our new Spider-Man was a little long, I actually loved the way he was in this fight. Because it's clear that you actually, with this Spider-Man, you're going to get the actual wisecracking Spider-Man of the comics Uh But this is it now. He's a little too young to be as deliberately wisecracking as I guess he'll be. Uh, Maybe Spider-Man will turn into Deadpool eventually. We'll see. But um, yeah, it was cute. It was kind of corny and kind of, you know, innocent. But it was still kind of wisecracking. Like, oh, cool, you have a robot arm. That's awesome. And stuff like that. (laughs) I I really, I actually like that bit. I, I laughed a lot. And thank God for getting to laugh a little. Unlike for that other film that shall not be named.
1: Well, I, I really did like it. They, That's the thing they do so well in the Marvel oh, universe, yeah. I think, is just they really do that camp. They add that that touch of camp and humor to the whole thing that let's it's there's a little bit of a wink at the audience and it sort of lets everybody know, like, hey, you know what, this is supposed to be fun, you know? If yeah. you're not having a yeah. good time, you better
0: be I mean there. Are, There are scenes that I loved, like when Ant Man first meets uh, uh, Captain America, which were just delightful pieces of acting, and were humour in their own sake. I guess at this at this fight sequence, I loved how the um, because it wasn't you know like in some of the James Bond films, they'll finish a sequence and then he'll make an incredibly bad pun, and you'll be like groaning. (laughs) Whereas these were kind of like just like more fun as it was happening. It was kind of playing out and, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't labored. And I think that integration with the action is really, really good. Um, I do feel like uh, from getting back to my opening of the whole VFX show, Vision should have just cleaned this up, shouldn't he? I mean, isn't that the thing about Vision that like he was virtually unstoppable? It seemed to me like Vision was... Pretty not kicking it, um, but maybe that was just a, a plot point. That uh, apparently people tell me that Scarlet Witch and he have a thing. I didn't get that in the film. Did you get that?
2: No. Yeah, I, I got. I, thought, yeah, I think I got that part, and that he didn't want to, you know, fight seriously because you know she was on basically on the other side of the fight. He didn't want to hurt her or something like that. Was my feeling I got even from the film. So. But yeah, you you always have this problem with the invincible character. It's the Superman or the Neo problem. When you have this character, or what the hell are you going to do? He could fix everything. I mean, you've seen all the how it should have ended, um, you know, YouTube clips about the Superman movies. They should be over in the first. Fi- they should all be over in the first five minutes. You know, like, is it these two nuclear yeah. missiles you were looking for? Because I flew around the planet ten times, I couldn't find any other two nuclear missiles. Has to be these. ones. did you mean I couldn't stop this? Do you mean that? No, that's weird. You know, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, what do we think of Black Panther at a, an effects level? Because this is a character that is um, new to the, to the, uh, to the you know, Marvel Universe in this sense of being on film. Um, he's fully CG. He's got to be a bit cat-like, but he's not actually a cat. And he certainly has to be very athletic. So in terms of front of house um, in this sequence here, we're really getting a, um, a great view at a fully CG athletic character it has to stand up right next to say someone like Captain America with Chris Evans being obviously real and hence having all of the physics and the muscle movement and everything that, uh, that we expect. Unlike say Captain America, uh, sorry, unlike um, Iron Man and uh, War Machine who are kind of clad in armor, Black Panther doesn't have such a, a level of abstraction to his physicality because the suit is kind of like a more uh, kind of hugging suit. And unlike Vision, he is running and doing stuff. Vision tends to sort of Christ-like float around a lot. Um, So I was was interested, like from an animation point of view, I think Black Panther is a really interesting uh, thing to see on screen. Matt, what'd you think?
1: I thought it worked really good. I I think uh, there weren't any, there was only one sequence that I believe Black Panther is in where I had an issue with it. And it was not just Black Panther, it was Black Panther, Captain America and uh, the Bucky Winter Soldier character if I'm not mistaken. And it's where, it's actually an earlier sequence in the film, I think where they're in DC and they're running through the tunnel.
0: Oh, and yeah. it,
1: it looked like all three of them in various shots where it shot from the side, at the, they were running at a speed where they were running as fast or faster than cars that were driving. And they, they it had the effect of making them look like they were on roller skates kind of. Um,
0: yes, yes. Though that did also have... What is I think one of the coolest shots of uh turning a motorbike around in the history of cinema?
1: yes, yeah, that was really cool I, I will give you that, but yeah, so that that was I think the Black panther the all digital uh performance, I think it works really well i I'm excited to see that character standalone movie. I think that actor's great I think that the 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 character in the comic book I remember reading that in the seventies as a kid and thinking he was really cool um so I'm I'm curious to see it but I th- I think it worked great in certainly in the big fight sequence I just wasn't crazy about um the way in which they dealt with them running at high speeds in those um tracking shots from the side in the tunnel I thought that there was something problematic about um the speed of the you know s- the movement and the stride of their legs and then the speed with which they were running it just didn't seem to it it it, it broke the the, law, the laws of physics again you know in a funny
0: way Yeah I mean, I think that they were really wise to get ILM to do that middle sequence because they are experts at character animation and I thought they did a really good job. Um, And that sequence uh, did have these fully CG characters which um, didn't feel really fully CG to me. I mean, this line between when Iron Man is um, Robert Downey Jr. just face alone into a body and the rest of it is now fairly... I mean, it's not easy, but it's 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 a worn path that they've done a couple of times. Did we, did we like Iron Man's suit? Because this was a slightly different version of his suit than we'd seen. It's a little less car paint, a little bit more back to where it started. Um, probably, Zab, you're the best person to answer this. I mean, just in terms of like the look and the... So uh, I know. will have
2: to say, generically throughout this movie, I just want to applaud how far basically rendering and shading has come because I didn't feel anywhere where there was any issue with any of the rendering. And I hope this is partially because people have now learned to, to trust physics and not try to go into and tweak so much. I know we had a discussion, I think I was one of the first Iron Man movies or whatever, where I have this issue with the, they were like tweaking the color because they didn't want it so blue in certain shots because the sky was blue and they tried <laughs> to make it more red. And it feels like people have stop doing that if the sky is blue your red suit that's actually not
0: true that's not true because I can tell you as a fact I spoke to the guys that did uh, at Method that did the end sequence we'll come to that in a sec and they absolutely had to tweak um, so that his suit didn't go too red or too purple now I think you're right in that the approach to rendering using physically plausible shaders and and you know, trusting energy conservation and stuff is exactly why the airport sequence looks so good and everything else. But it's the same. Show. It's not ILM now. It's um, it's gone to Method or Deluxes Method Studios in um, in the third act. But they are sharing the assets from ILM and. Yeah, they had to tweak that suit to make it look the right color.
2: Well, sure, but they, at least then they've learned to do it in a plausible way because I recall in the first film there's a lot of tweaks. It simply doesn't look realistic. Uh, and I don't know what has improved, just the skill of the compositor or whatever, but it's. I didn't have any of those problems in, in, in this film. It all looked completely plausible uh, to me. Although of course I'm always the guy who votes for actually is you know do the physically correct thing because if you have the guy in the actual suit there that's what it would have looked like and so make it look like the
0: that. reason that I held back the reason I held back the first um, big action sequence the attack uh, that goes wrong for Scarlet Witch and the third one was to contrast these two because if you think about it the middle one everyone's at play right and we've got this great kind of stuff that we just discussed. If you look at the first one, the primary characters that are in that um, sequence, Scarlet isn't in a suit. Um, Captain America isn't though, his shield is nearly always replaced digitally. Uh, You've got Falcon who while in a suit is still having to be, you know, the actor's face pretty much. Um, But it's certainly not like that sequence of characters that are doing that attack are pretty much out of fully digital um, suited up. We can't tell that it's an actor, so we're just gonna do it all CG. By contrast, when you get to the end, you've got an enormous amount of Iron Man. Um, you've got Bucky's arm that needs to be replaced in most of the shots and you've got uh, the shield. But you have, of course, now got uh, Bucky and Captain America f- uh, physically um, much more on set. Um, in the middle, of course, you've got all of the CG and all of the, uh, the real characters together. D- let's look at that opening sequence, that opening um, attack. There's a lot of wire work and a lot of sort of what you might call traditional VFX um, type of stuff because you've got to be thrown through windows beat up a lot of guys um, you know throw some shields around and do some stuff what did you think um matt about that opening sequence because it was what i'd kind of dare i call it more traditional vfx work
1: i mean i think all of it worked except the uh the special effect of scarlet witch's accent i had a big problem with <laughs> 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 no uh, i think it i think it was pretty successful i like a lot of the um it, it it I mentioned the Jason Bourne movie earlier because I saw that trailer uh, at the opening of this movie. I hadn't seen that yet. And um, it did make me think of, it's more like a Bourne movie. You know, it has that kind of kinetic action. It's like a lot of hand-to-hand combat. Um,
0: well, this film has that homage to Bourne. Remember in the Bourne film, they did that amazing shot where the cameraman followed Bourne yes, as he jumped between buildings. Yeah, yeah. And in this one, we've got that as Bucky jumps out of the window. And the, Have you seen the green screen footage for that?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Like the, I will include the raw, I mean, I can recruit, include the B-roll in the um, FX guide story. The, literally, you've got a shot from the side of uh, presumably the stunt double for Bucky jumping all the way down from an incredible height over a vast distance down on a wire to the ground. And then the camera, the guy who's filming this like for the B-roll, yeah, is obviously following him. But at the end of that shot, you see this cameraman coming down on another wire, but they stop the cameraman before he hits the deck. And I think you hear the cameraman kind of go... <laughs> the harness. Um, yeah. But if you look at the shot on a green screen, it's almost more impressive because it's like kind a of witness camera as he goes out that thing. And you're thinking, yeah, there's a DOP who's running out and jumping. I presume it's a stuntman, but a, a DOP running out and, and uh, jumping out the same darn rig that the actor leads that really cool does. I think but, I mean yeah, I think sorry. it looks great Stop I mean here. I
1: think it wind it wound up being a really a super exciting kinetic sequence um, there was a lot of great uh, there's the sort of superhuman uh, uh, like in that shot you're describing the superhuman jumps and the superhuman falls where he would he jumps and he falls and he lands on his shield or something as if that's gonna keep him from breaking <laughs> his arm
0: or his back or the, whatever Bucky does have the bion- bionic man problem doesn't he which is that, <laughs> a little bit, yeah sure yeah. he's got some bionic limbs but what's happened to his spine Exactly, yeah. Um, so so there's a little bit of suspension
1: of disbelief in terms of the the extremity of the action, like how extreme they go with it. But it sure is a hell of a lot of fun to watch, though.
0: Yeah, I thought the opening sequence worked, uh, worked pretty well. And I liked the sort of um, the feel of it in terms of uh, the environment. Um, but correct me if I'm so wrong, I didn't to-
2: they use some of that uh, kind of short shutter in the opening as well? Or am I imagining
0: that... Uh, they would have, but I think that the, um, the place that I found it more noticeable was in that internal uh-huh. Bucky escapes sequence, which by the way, just to, to flag something, so, um, which I think was extraordinary. So I'm pretty sure it was Luma that, uh, that did the task force lobby escape with Bucky. So all the walls there were the wrong type of walls, they were kind of plaster walls, you know, sort of office walls, and they wanted them to be concrete walls. So Dan, the VFX supervisor, actually made the decision to hang grey kind of cloth over the walls and then what Luma got was not a green screen that they had to pull but basically grey behind the actors, which they then turned into concrete. It's a really interesting uh, VFX approach if you think about it because you're basically saying it would be easier to have Roto and Luma key. Sorry, a (laughs) pun there on Luma pictures. (laughs) Uh, but. Luma key the characters off the grey and then add sort of concretey texture behind it. Than it would have been to get a clean blue or green screen and then, but also at the same time deal with the uh, spill and the, sure. the effect on there. Um, so anyway, it never looked at all. I mean, you know that environment work. It's completely, you know. You just don't even read it, I don't think. There's a bunch of that. Like, I don't think you read Bucky's arm as being fully digitally replaced. I don't think that you read The Shield as being fully CG and fully replaced. As you said earlier, Matt, the whole, virtually the whole airport at the middle sequence, like a lot of these sections, we're kind of looking at the front characters and, you know, the fully, obviously sort of fully CG, say Black Panther when they're doing amazing stunts. But these environments that they're in are all um, heavily worked and yet not, not, you know, completely like they do throw real cars around, they do, you know, throw trucks through the sort of concrete gateways that, and they had an entire helicopter on a gimbal rig um, when uh, Bucky's trying to escape and Cap holds the... Though I would point out... <laughs> that they then completely replaced the gimbaled helicopter with a CG one, but... um,
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was probably one of the least successful shots, actually, in the movie, probably my least favourite. The helicopter, while it's real and he's grabbing it, looked fine, and then Bucky gets annoyed and basically, you know, rolls it left and smacks the rotor into the ground. And that helicopter looked, to me, quite CG, and we have this ever-present problem in like every movie i see with these two bright dust things that gets shown up uh, thrown up i complain about it in like probably every vfx show i've been on i think like we have this dust that sh- that is whipped up by the the uh, rotor main rotor when it hits the concrete and this dust should basically be in the shadow of the helicopter but it's come up too bright, and it looks totally pasted on. And uh, it, it, for me, that was probably the most, uh, least, the least successful, the effects shot in this film.
0: Hmm. Well, let's go to the third act and discuss the Russian, um, I guess, converted missile silo, underground secret lair. Um, you know, Winter Soldier manufacturing outfit. Um, that was, uh, as you already said, great dramatic stuff. I also think it had some of the most iconic, um, like the footage that I'll remember, the shots that i remember from this film, uh, that shot where Bucky and Cap, it was in the trailer, I think, and, uh, Cap's, um, hitting Iron Man who's down on one knee and they're just tossing the, the shield between them and doing stuff. I mean, that was, that was a really, really graphic, um, it's one of those moments where a comic book is coming to life, and you can really see the connection to the sort of way that it would have been drawn in a had it been in a comic book. Matt, did you uh, did you like the sequence I'm referring to? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's
1: definitely one of the standout sequences in it, and then the um, the sort of the the conclusion, if I'm not mistaken, of that um, sequence when Bucky is. Uh, sort of knocked out and it's Captain in America, like, you know, shield to whatever, you, the repulsor on the Iron yep. Man suit and the sort of um, the the energy blast sort of coming off the shield, which I, I think uh, is a direct uh, reference to one of the panels actually in the comic book itself. I think they were just recreating that exact look. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an opportunity in that really sterile, kind of darkly lit environment to really showcase, you know, the sort of, the comic book aspect of it, the sort of the ridiculousness of the costumes and the strength of the characters and to utilize the, um, uh, the environment and the visual effects, you know, to really create a, I mean, really a a graphic in essence, you know, a full motion graphic. So, I mean, it's great. I think it worked really, really well. That was probably the best part of that whole sequence for me.
0: Yeah, there's sort of three environments they're in. There is in the chamber where all the Winter Soldiers have been shot. That was a really big set. They're in the sort of missile circular silo section um, and then they're at the base down the bottom after they kind of get pulled down where you've got the end kind of uh, play out. In all of those cases, um, Method Studios were doing set extensions. They were like a couple of stories, I'm going to say a couple of floors high, especially the uh, second one of those, you know, maybe three and then only sort of a 180 degree kind of circular. But for the camera work, a lot of which was fairly handheld, um, you needed to have like a lot more. And so there were methods were actually taking the actors off those environments, recreating the environments perfectly and putting the actors back into the same thing. And of course, uh, as I think you already alluded to Zap, if you do your lighting with a physically plausible system and you light it the way it actually was lit on set, you're gonna end up with a set that actually does match. And so what you get is not just Um, you don't want a new set, you want the same set, but of course now in, in um, with much more height and and much uh, much more depth, and that was, I think, super successful. I mean, I just did yeah, not that, know they it, were doing that when I was watching. That
2: it. was impressive. I, I thought it was really. I, I was literally looking at really big sets. Although the first set where they um, they do uh, you know subvert the the traditional uh, cliche of reviving yet more, but he, he actually killed them instead. Although I wonder if they would still be run running after all these years, but that's a different story. (laughs) But I, that looked really familiar. It's almost like I'm watching that set and it's like, haven't, I see, haven't they used this in some other movies, some other Russian missile silo kind of? So, or it was maybe just a, a cliché design somehow. I don't know. It, it just looked incredibly it, familiar It was a physical
0: me. built set. I think it was in Atlanta they built that.
2: Okay, yeah. But it never really looked like it was a lot of set extension or anything. It, it looked to me like a, a, a big set. So that's impressive work and that's the case.
1: I thought the one yeah. the one thing in that sequence that I did think was, and I think it's inherently problematic, I think it's a difficult visual effect because the physical aspect of it would be really difficult is at the conclusion of that sequence when uh, Captain America has destroyed the, um, whatever the reactor in uh, Iron Man's chest, there's uh, yeah. Downey Jr. has arc- got his helmet off and he mm. sits down and he sits sort of on his knees and then he sort of, Rolls back onto his uh, onto his backside, sort of sitting down, and I felt like the physics of the the placement of his his upper body and his head, the way his neck came out of the costume, and in the way his lower body sort of moved, it it felt because it seems like such a difficult thing to pace together the seating of the suit and then the the actual sitting of probably the actor in the in the environment, and I felt like that just didn't quite work there was something about it animation wise that just felt weird like it would be so hard for that suit to contort into that comfortable sort of seated position you know
0: right he was wearing a legacy because legacy did all of the suits although sometimes they were deliberately designed to be replaced and certainly he was wearing i think what they called like a um I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong. It was something like a volume suit or a um, displacement suit, I think they nicknamed it. And the idea of it was that it would, so if somebody was gonna put his hand on his chest, the hand would sit obviously the right distance from his chest, because there was this displacement suit. Uh, in other words, an Iron Man sort of mock-up suit that just gave the hand the right distance from right. the chest, but we never expected to see that thing on, on camera. But whether, I don't think Robert Downey Jr. had anything below the kind of mid-torso. So if he was sitting on his ass, it's his ass and effectively um, uh, a track pant, you know, like a whatever he's wearing that's sitting on the ground. He doesn't have a butt padding or a...
1: Yeah, displacement displacement.
0: (laughs) But So maybe you've just picked up there on a really
1: subtle problem. Well, it's such a weird, it's such a weird shot. And you could see, I could imagine right away, like on the day, like when you're doing that, I could imagine just sort of thinking like, oh, this is going to be a tough one. Like, and I bet that was a hard shot to make work. I mean, it just looks like it was really difficult to do. And I I mean, it's not bad. I just, it was one of those things where looking at it, I just felt there was something about it. I was just like, oh, that's, that's not quite there's something about that that's not quite right. It doesn't quite look like he's yeah. he's really there or like it could do it. I don't know if you noticed it when he sat down too, or if it was just me, but
0: I I d I don't think I did. Zap, did you do you know what the shot we were referring yeah, to? Yeah,
1: I
2: know. No, I don't think I reacted particularly to that shot.
0: Yeah. I think um but I I you know if I was watching it again, I'm I'm sure you'd probably be right, and I'm sure that it's something that um uh, you know, that uh, would be caused by this sort of problem that you've got of an actor. Because that's always the thing, I think, if you're going to add stuff. See, the thing with Bucky's arm was another one, right? Like if, if the actor, um, Sebastian, is not I think his name is. Um, if he's got a, a effectively a glove arm piece on so that it you know, has a silver thing on his, uh, whatever his left arm. The thing about that is that's great for contact lighting, it's great for reference, great for a whole bunch of things, but it's clearly going to sit out from where his normal arm is um, because it's over the top of his arm, not cutting the guy's arm off. <laughs> when you want to put on a muscular um, sort of fake arm, you want that to conform to the contours of his effectively pretty much other arm, otherwise he's going to look sort of lopsided. And as a consequence, it has to be narrower. And so, you know, these, you either want the suit to physically go out further so that when you shoot the action, you solve the problem you just described, or you want it to not have any depth at all, because you're replacing something with something else. And I think in the case of Bucky's arm, there's only a few occasions that that really caused them some issues. But you know, it's still the case, you're going to have a, a more, um I don't know what you call it, pumped up, Attractive male arm in silver form than you would from putting something on the outside. I remember we were doing a commercial once and this actress, uh, this singer, and I was just the VFX supervisor, but she was um, wanting to have a whole lot of butterflies as a suit. So she was, it was a gorgeous piece of art design. She, she walked, the suit was made of butterflies. And as she walked, they fluttered. And then as she settled, they settled and went back down again. And so you can imagine as she's walking along with this gown made of butterflies, it was just a spectacular kind of film clip shot for a band, just what you'd want, Right. And, and everybody pulled it off really well. It was just a magnificent piece of animation. The lighting was gorgeous, just terrific, right? And as soon as the, um, the singer in question saw it, she was like, oh my God, you've put on six inches on my thighs. And it was like, yeah, was saying, Well, yeah, because the butterflies are sitting out from your body. It's like, Well, that's just, we're not using that. It's like it needs to be fully re engineered her body to be anemic, so that, and uh, like, you know, completely uh, wasted, so that when you stuck an extra sort of couple of centimeters of butterflies on her, she came back to a normal looking size. And of course, it didn't occur to any of us when we were doing it that she would sort of like, you know, my ass looks big in that butterfly. But um that's exactly what happened. And
1: uh, yeah, any real digital <laughs> costuming thing like that is going to be fraught with all kinds of sort of strange curiosities of that ilk that you just aren't going to really, I think it's always going to be a hard problem to solve. You know, I think
0: that's a difficult yeah. one. But um, the the action in that sequence, I mean, we've talked about the environments. I think they were pretty impressive and good, but the action was good. Um, and it was nice that there was some stuff to play with. Like for example, the fact that Iron Man had some faulty stuff from some of the fight meant that you couldn't just zoom everywhere and do everything in kind of classic um, classic style. Whereas, uh, you know, at the airport everyone was sort of gear was working, which makes it a little less, um, less easy to choreograph between the characters like Bucky who don't have effectively these vast powers and the enormous amount of thrust and power and speed that we know an Iron Man suit can produce. So I like that. And I liked having him kind of a bit um, off. I think we saw that in one of the earlier, I think it was Iron Man 3 when he was fighting some guys. You know, he had half his suit because it was flying in from the other side of the country. Right. And similar thing, right? Makes for a much more interesting fight when he hasn't just got all these toys and, and all these bells and whistles. Um, but yeah, they, as we discussed earlier, it's a real problem to get that suit to look good. And as it is for a matter of um, the shield on, uh, on, on Captain America in a really dark environment with, you know, the, it looks good in a daylight sky dome, but getting it looking good in a grungy sort of bottom of a disused Russian silo in the <laughs> middle of Siberia um, <laughs> uh, is a lighting challenge. Yeah, I for say. sure. Hey, Zeb, um, I wanted to ask you something about this. I was talking to one of the guys, I think it was at Luma, they were talking about how much easier it is these days because apparently Dan his officially visual supervisor on this film, made sure everything was LiDARed and they had just had a ton of really great LiDAR stuff and they were just mentioning in passing really they were using PF track and it was just so much better these days because the LiDAR um, with the proxy geometry just made it that much easier to do camera tracking are you aware of kind of like there seems to be just this tremendous difference in, in these serious productions between the old days of just trying to track whatever the camera got and having these um, uh, geometries from the light or the point clouds and stuff and using all of that to, to get a much more accurate, because uh, you're no longer doing a chicken and egg, you're no longer trying to track to work out what it is that you're tracking. You actually know what you're tracking when you start doing your, your camera tracking. Has that gone? Uh,
2: no. Was that a question to me? Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's obviously... it's obviously, <laughs> was, I,
0: was I boring you, my friend?
2: No, no, no. I thought you were talking to Matt. Uh, where was I? Yeah, so it's obviously easier to solve an equation when you have part of the solution already. So I think that uh, that's kind of self-evident that it's much easier when you have the LiDAR data. Um I'm definitely not an expert in the realm of tracking. I'm a rendering guy, but uh, I can see how the math would work out much easier that way. And uh, you know, I, even in my contact with tracking, it's quite clear that we've gone from a, you know, Jurassic Park where it was holy crap, some idiot moved the camera and we have to move our CG dinosaurs to match. Okay, you know, let's devote six months of R and D to this problem. And now it's almost to the point, you know, download the tracks are us from the interwebs for free and click a button and you get a, a solve automatically. So yes, there's been a lot of improvements in this area and uh, you know the days where we can sit in these kind of shows and talk about tracking issues uh, they are long gone.
0: Matt, I uh, I certainly don't ever recall in any point in this film feeling like somebody wasn't sitting on the right ground plane. I didn't feel at any point in this film that there was um, uh, uh, object tracking i didn't feel like bucky's arm didn't like lineup i just that the shield was wrong um tracking solved you reckon
1: i think i mean in large measure yes i mean you know you you mentioned the jurassic park you know i mean i i remember the day my early days at ilm where you know camera match move and tracking was done almost like roto you know i mean it was like you know frame. Uh, frame by frame or interpolated between frames, you know, I mean, the solve was something that, uh, and now, now you're dealing with, you know, hundreds or thousands of points of feature tracking or getting LIDAR data directly from the set, you know, I mean, it's, you're, you're really changing the, the whole, um, the whole enterprise. I mean, I think we're at a stage now where when it comes to um, getting a really solid match move, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's trivial. There's still uh, uh, many times where shots, um, given certain lighting conditions or smoke or things that obscure this, that, or the other, like where you're going to have some problems that occur. But, I mean, you can track almost anything, I think, nowadays. It seems like um, it's we're able to crunch so much more data on a per-pixel basis, even at a really high resolution at 4K or larger, that I just don't think it's it's not It's not as hard anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's an interesting issue here about um, lensing also because they use the new Alexa 65 on this and there's some sort of therefore 6K stuff and obviously we've been having read at 4K and stuff. But as I understand it, most people are still doing their visual effects work at 2K. I don't know if you know any differently, Zap, but I mean, some films obviously are not, but by and large, most stuff is being done at 2K and people are getting really carried away with, you know, we got this thing. I mean, obviously, there is there is an IMAX component, then they're going to do things. But I'm not aware that everybody's, as a default, going no, anywhere but I 2K. I get a feeling it,
2: 2K is kind of the norm, although people uh, more and often than not want to start rendering stuff in 4K just in case, even though they're actually kind of comping it in 2K because they... I don't know, foresee some future redo or whatever. I, I have no idea, but uh, I, I hear more about people wanting to do four K renders than um, than I used to in the past. Uh, unless, of course, these people that do stills that want to do, you know, sixteen K renders. But that's a whole yeah, different sure. story. You want to print I mean, it Civil on the side and some... or something.
0: Civil War had some Alexa 65 in it. I understand from stuff that I read in American cinematographer. I think, that Infinity Wars parts one and two as in the Avengers next things are going to be pretty much entirely shot uh, on Alexa 65s, which is pretty interesting, really. I mean, um, I think they're also shooting Rogue One on it. Um, so it seems like a pretty interesting tool. It's just whether that will cause an uplift in everybody having to post everything that way um, is another matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hear people talking about, oh, it's future-proofed. And it's like, well, if you've got 2000 shots and look, I don't know this for a fact, but let's just for argument's sake, say you have a film that has 2000 shots and it's all done at 2K. doesn't matter if you shot it, um, at higher resolutions, this future-proofing goes out the door because to redo the visual effects at, um... In a film like Terminator, where it was like, you know, three minutes, okay, well, you could imagine re releasing the film in a few years and going back and redoing some effects. But if you've got the entire film being done as a um, 2K and there's 2,000 shots, then it doesn't matter what your source material is, you'd have to redo the entire film, and that's millions and millions and millions of dollars of it's like nearly the whole film being redone. So, yeah. Um, but or you hey, just,
1: maybe i you just maybe.
2: push the uprest button that's easy I, right? just,
1: I just have 2048 by 1556 like deeply ingrained in my brain from like many, well, yeah. many, many moons ago <laughs> you know, it's like tattooed
0: on your arm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and quite frankly and I mean, look, you know I'm going to get shot for saying this but I actually don't think it makes as big a difference as some people let on now, I do agree that there are times I've been in an IMAX cinema that um, like a uh, dark night rises where they had these sequences and i was like oh my god that's breathtakingly gorgeous but as i think i've said on another show um high dynamic range as in the new hdr displays make much bigger difference to me on a on a set like if i'm watching at a big screen at a at a studio or at a post house if i'm looking at a screen and it's the difference between hdr which is like a dolby vision kind of thing versus 4k versus 2k totally i'm agree. going for the dolby vision totally agree absolutely agree um,
2: yeah, interesting because I I just got a 65-inch 4K TV for my living room and uh uh, when you and, and we're not sitting insanely far from it, and I'm, you know, and the funny part is where the only place you can actually get 4K content to watch on it is on YouTube. You remember YouTube used to be this 300 by 200 pixel blurry thing, and now it's suddenly <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 only place where you can get the highest quality signal. But I'm kind of getting to the point where normal, you know, 19 twenty by ten eighty, it kinda of looks a little blurry to me, you know. So I don't know.
0: Well, anyway, it's uh it's certainly this film looked great in the cinema to me. I loved it. Um I liked that the grade wasn't too dramatic and that it wasn't going off into some kind of arty space of just blue and green. I think we've Got that, And I did like the, as we've highlighted a number of times, the change of pace in the visual effects and that, you know, things were happening in different environments and different kind of emotional beats. We weren't just going for the same thing over and over, outdoing each other. And it was nice that we didn't have an ending that destroyed um, London, New York or some part of Eastern Europe. So that was, that was really good. So overall, I think the film was a big success. I think some spectacularly good visual effects from, as I say, a huge number of companies. Um, hard to really fault. And I think that the pipeline that Marvel has set up and the way that they are managing this is remarkable. And quite frankly, it's giving a lot of visual effects artists a lot of really good work uh, to do. So um, all in all, I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, in just finishing up, Matt, you got any sort of final thoughts on the film?
1: No, I mean, I, I would just concur. I mean, I didn't really say this at the outset, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great, great fun. Um and so much amazing, uh, talent on display on screen in terms of the visual effects work. I mean, it's just such a thrill to go and see a big tentpole picture like this and to just be, you know, for two and a half hours on a, on a rainy Saturday, you know, sit there with my family and just everybody has a great time. And afterwards we leave the theater and everybody's feeling great. And I, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We all enjoyed it. And I think, um, yeah, just some really, really great work uh, from so many different uh, companies in so many different areas of of visual effects, whether it's the, the de-aging um, work or just some blown-out action sequence, character animation, um, destruction sims. I mean, there's just some really excellent stuff in this picture.
0: Zach,
2: Yeah, I must speak also to what you said about the color grading, because I think this is a stellar case of color grading done well it was done such that the image looks good without being done into some stylized teal and orange kind of you know realm all the colors and of the rainbow were there Uh, to some level or another nothing felt pushed around in the color space so I I think they should give it a little bit uh, you know rounds of applause for that and I thought it was a pretty good movie it was not the best movie ever I I, you know as we said we and my kids we have a tradition we do like a little review in the car when we ride home and we said it this was definitely an okay movie it was not the most awesome movie we've seen it was absolutely not a bad movie um and there's a lot of amazing work in it, and uh, going all from the you know rejuvenated Robert Downey to just the insanity of replacing the suit of every basically everybody uh, yeah it's um and it never looking fake uh it, it looks completely real uh yeah we've come a long way baby
0: yeah i, would, I think we should actually highlight um stephen j scott or uh was the colorist, or the supervising finishing artist? I think his title was on this. He also did Guardians. Um, uh, he's actually an ex flame artist and, and a guy I've known for years. A really, really good guy. I was just looking him up as you were talking. I didn't realise he graded it when I'm. I mean, grading it is obviously a team sport these days. But um, but he is a really, really good um, colorist, and it's it's no accident that uh, that you know he did um, the Reverend and he just Age of Ultron. This guy is like just triple A plus good at what he does but um he's done a lot of the um Iron Man 3 and Guardians and uh Thor 2 and uh stuff that um and the original Avengers so clearly knows his stuff well um and it's really nice to as we say see such a good uh, job from Technicolor on the uh on the grading um just uh by way of um sort of finishing up I guess the thing that I would say is that uh, I do think that this film like was hitting above, it's kind of like what it, I mean, it's hard to judge because it's now in this continuum, but I think it was batting above what we could have expected at this point. Um, and it certainly makes it hard. I can't imagine how they're gonna sort of equally go as well in the next Thor film or the next whatever. I mean, it, it sort of really feels to me like as has been said by others that it's a, you know, Avengers two and a half. Um, and that is always the problem. Like how do you kind of top yourself? But I look forward to seeing how they do it. And I look forward to seeing the work of the visual effects artists uh, that that make it happen. By the way, um, we've tried in this show to focus a bit more on the visual effects and that was due to the feedback that you guys sent us. So if you've got comments on the VFX show, please, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Matt and I, um, Zap, uh, Jason, all the guys that contribute to the show, really um, appreciate getting any feedback, you have good or bad. So um, at the end of the show, we always outline where you can contact us and where you can do stuff and part of the reason for doing that uh, is so that we can get that feedback. So... Matt, in that vein, um, where can people follow you? Yeah, you can uh, go to my website. It's Mattwallen.com. On
1: there, I blog about some stuff and uh, you can follow me uh, on my Twitter feed there or Facebook or whatever you want, really. There's all manner of ways to get in touch with me and uh, let me know uh, what you think of whether or not I didn't talk enough about the visual effects in Batman versus Superman (laughs) and if you thought it was a great movie and I'm crazy. (laughs)
2: yeah so i'm not interested in a negative critique only the positive one Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) just kidding Uh, uh, i can be found at the twitters uh, as uh, master zap although if you go there you probably mostly see strange quadcopters flying uh, upside down and backwards Uh, i'm also on the book of face as Zap anderson uh, so you can find me there Although, don't try to send me a message because you'll be actively ignored. Uh, I get too many. (laughs) And don't try to send me an email either because they'll be actively ignored too. Uh, There's just too much information these days. No, but seriously, uh, yeah, I'm on all the things. uh, So... Uh, next place I'll show up publicly will be at the End User Event Conference in uh, Utrecht in Holland. Sadly sold out, so I don't know why I told you this. But uh, uh, we will be, you know, showing some new fancy stuff and some, uh, yeah, new fancy
0: stuff. Um, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to actually get to that show at some point. It you would should. Be, it's Siggur uh, it in a pub. Yeah, I know you've 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 mentioned it before and I think it sounds like a really good thing. Hey, I'm obviously Mike Seymour and of course uh, that's on Twitter and uh and over at uh, FX Guide. I want to thank uh you guys so much Actually just give a thanks to Matt who's uh stepped up to help me with uh, a bit more stuff directly on the show. So Matt, thank you. Greatly appreciated, my friend. Oh, my pleasure. Anything I can do to help. <laughs> um and uh, that's it. We're going to do um coming up in uh coming weeks stuff on uh x-men i think it's a really interesting film to discuss the visual effects on again amazing amazing amount of uh, visual effects in that film and then there's a bunch of other stuff as we say coming down the pipe as we um, go through the uh, u.s summer blockbuster season but thanks so much for being with us and until next time i'm like see you guys